Good, good morning. It is a good morning, despite that we all lost an hour, and it's great to see so many of you here and worshiping and filling the house of the Lord with, uh, with great, great praise. And I know there's probably just a few of you that are online this morning because, yes, yeah, just you're feeling like, hey, I can't make it in. So that's, uh, that's a, a great ministry to be able to uh, connect online. But if you can, be here. Be here. There are, it, there's just something being in the presence of others. And I understand some of you can't make it. Uh, but if you were just resting this morning, well, be here next Sunday. We'll look forward to it. Uh, we heard uh, a word from the Lord a little bit earlier, and for those of you online, for your benefit, and we've been working on that. We have some microphones uh, hanging from the ceiling. We're trying to make sure you can uh, participate and hear. I'm not sure, though, since I'm in the house, whether that came through. We'll check tomorrow. I'll give you just a little brief recap just of what we heard. Moses, Moses, when he... Uh, was in the wilderness and needed to feed the people because they were complaining. Actually, he didn't need to feed them. God was already handling that, but they were just complaining. And God said, I'll give you meat for 30 days. Moses was a little bit perplexed by that. Maybe he had a doubt, and he asked God, how are you going to do it? The Lord said, is my arm too short? So that was really the, the message we heard. Is God's arm too short? He is Jehovah Rapha. He is Jehovah Jireh. He's our healer, our provider. And there's power in the name of Jesus. There's healing in his name. Uh, we heard that as well. Be encouraged by that this morning, that uh, our God's arm is not too short. Definitely, definitely not. He's beautiful and wonderful. We had a great time in this house on Friday. For those of you who weren't able to make it, those of you who did come in, and uh, spend some time here on the worship night. It was amazing. It was fantastic. It was beautiful. The uh, worship department did an amazing job. They ministered to the, the congregation, and it was fabulous. I've heard some great things from those who were in attendance. Uh, both Julie and I were here, and it was wonderful. There was beautiful times of prayer. Uh, we, uh, through a suggestion from one of our elders, we had just spontaneously had people come to the altars to be prayed for by the elders who were here. And it was really a nice, nice evening uh, in the presence of Almighty God. And uh, many of us are still just, uh, we're, we're encouraged and we're riding on that. It's, whenever you can, if you can avail yourself uh, to those times, it is a blessing. It's a blessing. Uh, and I thank the the all of those who are on our worship team. They did a, a wonderful, beautiful, beautiful job for us. And uh, many of them were here this morning, too. So they really, they, they served on Friday. They lost an hour of sleep, and I didn't even know it. They looked great, and they did a, a wonderful, wonderful job here this morning. Uh, this morning, as we move into the Word of God, we're continuing to talk about the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, who is alive, He uh, is the spirit who was uh, part of creation and uh, continues to just work in all of our lives. We're talking about Jesus and how the Holy Spirit was so influential and part of his life. And uh, this morning I begin with just a reminder, a reminder from Acts chapter 19. We 
uh, have talked about that section of Scripture quite a bit over the last number of weeks. Paul asked some disciples in the city of Ephesus a question. And he asked them, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, these were disciples. They were disciples that believed in Jesus, and they, they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. But Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they answered, we haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them a second question. And I'll give you the scripture. It's Acts 19, verses 3 to 6. Just a reminder to us, because I know many of you have heard it. So Paul asked, second question, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him. That is uh, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So again, we've considered this scripture numerous times over the past several weeks. And we've talked about baptism, we've talked about receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Paul made a very uh, important connection here with these men from Ephesus. There was about a dozen of them. And there was this connection between baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus and receiving of the Holy Spirit. He, otherwise, what's he asking the question for? And, and then the experience that they had when they were baptized and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this morning, I want to consider how Jesus modeled that, how he modeled that for all believers and what it means to us. When Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus took on human flesh and he walked the earth, he exemplified for all what it is to have a spirit-led life. The Holy Spirit was deeply, deeply intertwined with Jesus' life. And we talked last week about before Jesus was even born, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And we looked at the parallel to being born again that Jesus offers to, to all, all of mankind, this great invitation to be born again and he said flesh gives birth to flesh but it's spirit that gives birth to spirit don't be surprised jesus said that i that i say you must be born again it, it's not an option jesus didn't say well it'd be a great thing if you were born again there was no if no you must be born again and jesus in a sense he led the way he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He had this miraculous birth by the Spirit. And yet he says, we can be partakers of that. And he invites all to be born again. Now another example of the Holy Spirit involved in Jesus' life is at the outset of his ministry as an adult. When he was about 30 years old. And, and this ministry began of preaching and teaching and doing great miracles, signs, wonders, healing people. All four of the Gospels mention 
this start of Jesus' ministry, and it's at his baptism, the baptism of Jesus. As Paul had made it known to the Ephesian disciples, there is this intimate connection between baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. And that connection, that connection was evident at the baptism of Jesus. Now all four gospels record it, and this morning we're gonna look at three of them. We're gonna look at three of the records of the gospels that record the baptism of Jesus. We'll look at Matthew and Luke and John. And I just want to read them all right now. And they're all a little bit different. You know, these were three different perspectives, three different ways of looking at the same event. And we know that if all of us looked at the same event, we might describe it a little bit differently. We'd all see different, unique things. So that's the beauty of the Gospels when we can see the, these, different, uh, these different records of the same uh, event. They're giving us a, a grander picture of it because we get more detail when we look at of these uh, multiple accounts. So first, Matthew, uh, and if you have your Bible, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter three, uh, Luke chapter three, John chapter one. Matthew chapter three, verses 13 to 17. And it says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Now Luke chapter three, again, the, the, the event of Jesus being baptized, this is verses 21 and 22. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love with you I am well pleased. Now John chapter one, this is verses 29 through 34. John gives us a little more detail. Verse 29 says the next day, and this was the day after, there's an account of John the Baptist baptizing uh, across the Jordan River. And so John says then the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. I just want to stop briefly right there. John says, I didn't know Jesus. But we know that John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. They were about six months apart at birth, and yet John says, I didn't know him. And it's not necessarily uh, a reference to 
John not knowing Jesus and, and who he was as a person, but that John was called to the wilderness. He was out in the wilderness, and that's where God spoke to him about going to baptize and uh, this ministry he had to prepare for Jesus. And this is more of, John didn't know that Jesus was the one, that Jesus was the one that was the Messiah as he was out in the wilderness hearing, hey, go prepare the way and I want you to baptize. So then verse 32, then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me. Again, a reference to the wilderness where John's hearing from the Lord. The one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. So these three accounts of Jesus' baptism, and it's interesting, it's interesting that Jesus was baptized at all. And let's just consider that for a moment. He was baptized by John the Baptist, understood John's baptism, it was a baptism for repentance. But Jesus was sinless. Why would he need to be baptized? He didn't need to repent of any sin. So the idea that Jesus would be baptized, sometimes it, it seems like a contradiction. People start scratching their heads. What, what did he even need it for? Why would he, if he were perfect, need this baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins? And yet it was Jesus who approached John. And we read that, and John protested. John was, no, no. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus uh, seemed to say, no, that's, that's not what's going to happen here. He said, and we read that in Matthew's gospel, that let it be. Let it be, John. Let it be so now. And it's proper for us to do this. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. That's what Jesus said, and then John consented. Now, to, fill all, to fulfill all righteousness, there's the key. That's the key. Jesus was talking about this. The, to fulfill all righteousness, this is why he was going to be baptized. But what does that really mean? Well, the baptism of Jesus showed that although he was without sin, he was perfect, that he was identifying with sinners. He was identifying with us. In Paul's letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, he kind of explained this idea of righteousness and fulfilling righteousness. We touched on it a few weeks ago. I want to revisit it. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by flesh, that's us sinning, we could never follow the law perfectly. God did. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. So Jesus was sent by the Father. He was sent. He was on a mission. He was sent by the Father. And he 
had to take on the likeness of sinful flesh. Now some say, well, that was the likeness of sinful flesh. So Jesus really wasn't human. It was an apparition. It was just a likeness. His flesh wasn't real. But it was real. It was real. It was the likeness of sinful flesh, meaning that Jesus was fully human. He had human flesh. But there was one difference between him and all other humans, and that is that he was perfect. He was sinless. He was the one who could keep the law perfectly, and he never sinned. His flesh never sinned. So he had this likeness of the flesh. That is, he had our, our, our same flesh, but he never, ever sinned. So it was a little different. And yet, yet, we read here in, in Romans 8, he became a sin offering. Jesus gave his life on the cross. And he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be uh, fully met in us because we couldn't meet it. So he did it for us. And what is the righteous requirement of the law? Again, we touched on this a number of weeks ago. Just a brief a brief review. The righteous requirement of the law is a life. It's a life to pay for sin. For the people of the Old Testament, it was generally the life of an animal, a lamb. And that's why Jesus, when John saw him, was called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was the final, perfect sacrifice that God said, no more, no more sacrifice necessary. This is it. This covers everything. This will remove sin. In the New Testament, the letter to the Hebrews put it very, very succinctly. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. That just summarizes it all. Without the shedding of blood, there is no atonement. There's no forgiveness of sin. So the life is a requirement. And Jesus did it. He shed his blood. He's the one who shed his blood. And his blood fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, that, that a life was necessary for sin. And there, there was a, a line in one of the songs we sung this morning. The, the God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The God of ages stepped down to, from glory and he took on the likeness of human flesh, sinful flesh. And then he gave his life for us. He, he wore my sin and he bore my shame. And that is just, an, if you really take a minute to consider it, overwhelming. Our hearts should just be overwhelmed by that. Jesus said to John regarding baptism, it's to fulfill all righteousness. He was showing I am going to identify with sin. I will identify with sinners. He exemplified the need, the very need for repentance. And then he submitted to baptism, showing this, showing that I will be a, a, just like a sinner because he was going to take on sin. He was going to receive sin, making a way for all of us to attain righteousness. It's a way of righteousness for every sinner. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter, chapter 5, he wrote, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's so amazing that the, 
the word awesome fits here. It's so awesome. We should be quaking inside to think Jesus, is, he is our righteousness. He paid the price. He, he came down here and he put his life on the cross. And he met this righteous requirement of the law for us so that we could be seen as righteous by, by God the Father. That is such an amazing plan. In his baptism, he fulfilled all righteousness. He showed, I am going to take on the sin of humankind. And he also initiated, this was the advent of Christian baptism. The baptism of Jesus was different. It was different than any of the baptisms that John had performed previous. The voice of God the Father was heard. And the the Holy Spirit descended in a visible form. All three Gospels I read recorded that. Mark's Gospel does too. I didn't read it. It's a much shorter version. But he also recorded it. The Holy Spirit came down in this visible form and rested on Jesus. There's this connection of the Spirit and Jesus throughout his entire life. That had never happened before in any of John's baptisms. It's the inception of Christian baptism and the receiving of the Holy Spirit. It's an an example for all of us. The baptism of Jesus is this beautiful thing. The Father's there. The Holy Spirit's there. The the Son, Jesus, is there. This is such a, a beautiful picture of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. First, there's Jesus, the Son, who arrives and he tells John, I'm gonna be baptized. John the Baptist, who looked at him and called him the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world and testified, this is the Messiah. Jesus claimed to be the Savior. He called God my Father. John said he's the chosen one. Jesus making that claim that God was his Father, this is what set the Jewish leaders against him. They wanted to kill him. You can read that in John chapter 5. They sought to kill Jesus. Because he called God his own father. And they said, who is this guy? He's making himself equal with God. This idea that Jesus would say, God's my father, they knew what he was talking about. They knew this wasn't some play on words or a saying. No, this was Jesus saying, I am God. I'm divine. I'm equal with him. And they knew exactly what he was saying. And they wanted to kill him for it. Jesus, God the son, he's divine. He's equal with God. But having become a man, the the God of ages stepped down from glory and he he took on flesh. And there he he entered the Jordan River. And when he was baptized then, God the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. And this convinced the Baptist, oh, this is God's chosen one. That was John's gospel, he testified to that. This is God's chosen one. I heard when I was in the wilderness, the one on whom the spirit rests. He's the one, he's the one. Definitely, this is the one. Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He is the chosen one. He is the Messiah. And the the Holy Spirit descended in this form, it says, of a dove, a visible form. Now the Holy Spirit's not a dove. I know there's plenty of... uh, Christian logos for churches and such. It's a dove. But the Holy Spirit's not a dove. All right? The Holy Spirit's not a dove. 
Right? He took on this form, it says. But that's, that's not necessarily an attribute of the Holy Spirit that he's a bird. The, the Spirit was revealed in this visible form, coming to rest on Jesus. And this fulfilled what the prophet Isaiah, some 700 years before, had prophesied that the, the Spirit of the line and a distinct being of the Godhead, equal with the Son, equal with the Father, the Son was there divine. The Spirit was there divine. And then the voice of God the Father was heard. This is my Son, whom I love, and in whom I am well pleased. And again, this is something the prophet Isaiah foretold. Isaiah chapter 42, verse number 1. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one. That's what John testified to. My chosen one, in whom I delight I'm well pleased. I will put my spirit on him. And there it was. And he will bring justice to the nations. Isaiah foretold what was taking place right there at John's baptism. Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God would be upon him. Isaiah 42, my servant who I'm uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight, the spirit will be on him. And, and God the Father expressed this. He expressed the delight audibly. I am well pleased. The Father, the Father, a distinct and divine being, yet equal in communion with the Son and the Spirit. So Jesus, he gave us this example at his baptism. God's involved. God's involved. God the Father, God the Son, the Holy Spirit. When we believe in Christ, when we believe in him and we repent and we receive the pardon that he offered by the giving of his life, the giving of his life for our, for our, for our sin, for our shortcomings, then we become children of God. We become children of God. Not born of the flesh. Born again. Born of the spirit. Born anew. When we, when we make that turn and that decision John, again, in his first uh, chapter of his gospel, he wrote, yet to all who did receive him, Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Not, not the right to be associates, not the right to be you know, once removed. No, the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, not of human desire or a husband's will, but born of God, born again, born anew, as children. Now, as children of God who obey then the command of Christ to be baptized, we partake, as Jesus did, in the blessing of a delighted father. A father who says, I'm pleased. I'm pleased with my children and what they're doing. And we also partake in this impartation of the Holy Spirit. And so I've, I ask, as Paul asked, and I've asked it many times, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? How were you baptized? There's a connection uh, with the Holy Spirit exemplified by the baptism of Jesus himself. And it's reiterated in Acts 19 with this encounter the apostle had with the men from Ephesus. And Jesus is our model. He's our model for all of life. I said that last week. Christ, 
He's our model. He's the example. Before he began to preach, before he began to teach, before he began to perform miracles and signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit descended on him. Now, can we say the same? Has the Holy Spirit descended on us and filled us? You know, so many questions. Where are the signs? Where are the wonders? Where are the miracles? We might ask too, what's happened to Christianity? Where is the truth? Where is the truth in teaching and preaching? Where is the, the truth in conforming to the word of God in what we teach and what we preach and what we exemplify? Some might think, I'm just not equipped. I am ill-equipped. I can't share the gospel. I struggle to share my faith. I don't have the confidence even to pray with somebody else, to take them by the hand and pray with them. I can't pray out loud. For all of it, for all of it, whatever, whatever the case may be, whether we got questions about miracles, whether it's just that we can't even pray with somebody, from the greatest to the least, for all of it, we need to follow the example of Jesus. We need to follow the example of Jesus. He was covered and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers. It's the Holy Spirit who equips for the working in God's kingdom. Are you living under it? Are you living under the covering and the anointing of the Holy Spirit? And we've talked about receiving this gift of the Holy Spirit and the idea that this gift can be neglected and I reiterate to you today what we said for many weeks. Stir up the gift. Stir up the gift of God within you. Fan into flame the gift of God. Let's take note of how Luke recorded Jesus' baptism. When all the people were being baptized, Luke wrote, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, as he was praying, Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended. Those are important words. As he was praying, vital words. He was looking up to God the Father, and he was praying. And then what happened? Heaven opened. Heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended. The book of Acts chapter 10 gives us, uh, from Peter's preaching to Cornelius, something beautiful. It says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit. This is Peter preaching. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. How did Jesus do it? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. This is what Jesus did every day. This is what he did every day under the guidance and the direction of the Holy Spirit. He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power. Too often, we just go about our day, don't we? We go about our day without even giving anything like that a second thought. Sort of on this just autopilot. But when we have a need, oh, when we have a need, when something comes up, right? We need a miracle. And then do we expect that God's just gonna step right in? And he's, he's just gonna 
Give us that miracle when we've been following our own direction and we haven't been giving him a second thought. And we're, we're on this life autopilot. God desires us. He desires us. He invites our participation in this thing we call life. And so let's follow the example of Jesus because he prayed to the Father and the Holy Spirit descended. Now there's a situation coming. There is a situation coming in your life. Well, I don't know if it's today or tomorrow or the next day, but something's gonna come. Something's gonna come. The day is approaching where you're gonna be desiring the power of God. You might even be needing a miracle and saying, God, bring me that miracle. Do a sign, do a wonder. Or maybe there's an opportunity for doing good that's coming your way. But you need resources. You need power. A circumstance where maybe the power of the devil is evident and it needs to be overcome. He seems to be winning. Today, today, right now, before you encounter that situation, before that circumstance even comes into your life, pray to the Father. Pray, Father, open up heaven and send the Holy Spirit. May the Holy Spirit descend. May the Holy Spirit descend and anoint me and, 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 and empower me. Let's stir up the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's given us and he's filled us. Pray, Father, open up heaven and send down that power. Send the, send the power of the Holy Spirit on you. Desire it, ask for it. Plead with the Father that you'd be covered and filled and anointed with the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus did and we shouldn't be ashamed to follow what Jesus did. He prayed and heaven opened. Make it your habit to pray every single day. God, open heaven. I need that. I need the, the covering. I need the power. I need the anointing. I need the filling of the Holy Spirit. And you too will have power. You'll be, have the power to take on whatever comes to you that day, whatever comes in whatever moment, to do good if that's what it is because Peter said Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do good and he was anointed by the Holy Spirit with power to take on the devil, to take on the evil one. We need that. We need that. Get yourself before God. There was such a great opportunity to do that this, this weekend on Friday. When I came into this place on Friday, I just felt like, you know, there was something in my life where the devil was winning. The enemy was winning. The enemy was beating me down. And I'll say, you know, I, I think I was neglecting what I've just preached to you. Had I been praying, God, open up heaven. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you what, in his presence in this room, over the course of some two and a half hours, and when we had these opportunities, and I just took time to pray and get before the Lord sincerely and genuinely and pray, Lord, I need that. I need that right now. God, I'm losing. I'm losing this. Is the devil gaining a foothold here? Because it seemed like he was. But the presence of Almighty God, this thing that, this word that is there, we've read it a couple times that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit. There was a moment there where things seemed 
to turn because it was that power and the presence of Almighty God. That helped to, to be able to get beyond my personal issue where I was losing. And I'm telling you this. The devil was the enemy. He had me. But he didn't. He didn't win. Because Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit. You know, and I want that for every single one of you today. We're just going to take time to sing a song here. And I invite you to stand and we're going to sing about the name of Jesus and what he's done for us. And if you're at that place today where you've been on autopilot, where you've been just going about your day and not giving a second thought to the fact that we are spiritual beings and that there is an enemy that wants us to fail. And when some crushing thing happens, the boss gets angry at us, we make a mistake, something happens, we get, we get in a clash with somebody, we're getting pulled by the enemy, tempted to sin, to fall. Are we saying, God, Father, I'm your child, I want you to delight in me open up heaven and send the Holy Spirit to help and to guide and to comfort and to care and direct and to wash over me and to anoint me and fill me afresh. Are you doing that? You can do that this morning. I invite you to these altars if you need to, to pray that. If you need to be anointed by uh, the elders of the church, just let us know. Let us know. Raise your hand as, as you come. We have elders. I'll invite them down and they'll pray for you. As, as a matter of fact, I'd mentioned on Friday, we just made that offer. So many came just to, to have prayer. Join us as we sing. Come to these altars if you need prayer. Don't leave here without availing yourself to modeling Jesus. There's no shame in it whatsoever. He is our righteousness. He showed us the way. Father, open heaven. Uh, God bless your people. God bless them. God keep them. God keep your hand upon them. Lord, remind us today, remind us tomorrow, remind us every day to look up, to say, Father, open heaven and cover us. Anoint us with your spirit. We need him. We need him. He's a gift given, the divine, the, the divine Holy Spirit. God, go with us, be with us, give us that power. Thank you, Lord. Now, I just pray that overall here, God, that you would do that, that we'd hear testimony, testimony of your power, and testimony when someone needs that miracle, when they need that sign, that wonder, that you do it, because we're preparing. We're preparing our hearts and our lives for that very thing now, asking for your power asking for your grace. Thank you for it, God. We look forward to what you're going to do. In Jesus' holy and his precious name, amen, amen, amen.